Take your seats. The title of our message today is Peace in the Midst of Chaos. And I am going to uh, attempt my Spurgeon sermon. Uh, please pray for me. My goal is to exalt the Lord Jesus with all that we say and do. From the Word of God, trying to teach the whole counsel of God's Word so we can may apply it properly to a world that looks like it's in chaos, but is ultimately under the sovereign hand of God. On August 12th, 1866, Charles Spurgeon stepped up into his pulpit to exhort his congregation on how to respond to a deadly outbreak of cholera. 5,600 in London died from this outbreak. Over the 200 years of this pandemic, over 40 million people died of this disease. So when this pandemic broke out again in London in 1865, Spurgeon decided to preach on the topic to offer a biblical perspective on the disease. We would all benefit from reading this sermon, and I would encourage all of you to go to Answers in Genesis website. I promise you it would be a great sermon for you to meditate in on light of the things that we are going through presently. It's AnswersInGenesis.org. You can do a search, and you'll see Spurgeon Sermons, The Voice of the Cholera. Uh, you'll see it there. Spurgeon's words boomed in the chapel and fiercely warned the people of London to look within. Just a taste of his words. Quote, This dreaded cholera, cholera is only a gentle blow from God's hand. But if it is not felt and its lesson is not learned, there may come instead of this pestilence which may reap the multitude as grain is reaped with the sickle. Or God may permit us to be ravaged by a pestilence worse than this plague. I mean the pestilence of deadly, soul-destroying error. He may remove the candle of His gospel out of its place and may take away the bread of life from those who have despised it. And then, O great city... Your doom is sealed. Spurgeon confronted London's lack of worship, her lewdness, her drunkenness, and her lack of genuine love. He said this in, this is just a small case of God's judgment in light of what we really deserve. And if the people didn't turn to God, that there would be a greater judgment. And that greater judgment would be that God would take the gospel out of its midst. And the gospel would not be proclaimed there. 
London was arguably better off than we are today in our country and in the world. So how much more would these words be applicable to us? Is there any reason in the world we should should not be facing this pandemic and more? Did you hear what I just said? Is there any reason in the world we shouldn't be facing a pandemic? The answer is no, we should be facing a pandemic. And it should be much, much worse. The world is as wicked and evil as it ever has been in any time in history. The world looks like Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities were wiped out. We are killing millions of babies every year. We are shamefully immoral, celebrating sexual immorality with symbols given by God of His mercy, the rainbow. We don't fear God. False religions and idolatry are heralded as just another expression of the Christian faith. That we are all serving the same God. Not to mention how we are all totally consumed with ourselves as seen by social media and the world. We are country, we are a country in a world of narcissists, totally obsessed with ourselves and our opinions and our fleshly desires. Is there any reason God should not totally destroy this planet with pandemic, plague, and famine? We should see this and say, yes, it's, it's, it's here. It's supposed to be here. It should not shock us. We are a sinful nation and we are in a sinful world. All people everywhere sin greatly in their hearts. This world is a dark place. And even God's professing bride is wearing the clothes of the harlot in much of the world. The real question is why hasn't it come sooner? We are sinful people. We are people in need of repentance. Oh dear brothers and sisters, there is hope. God is our refuge and our tower in times of struggle. He is faithful and kind. We can trust Him. We must cry out to Him for repentance and faith. And proclaim to the world that they need Jesus. For He is the all-satisfying one. Today has been declared a national day of prayer. I guess my prayer would be that it would be a national day of repentance. And I pray it starts with us. I pray it starts with us and then permeates out all over the world. We need to turn from ourselves to God. Today I want to do something a little different. I want to examine how Christians should counsel themselves and others in the face of this pandemic and other trials that are in our lives. It is my goal to kind of give an overview of the whole entire Bible on this subject. And I know you're like, how in the world are you going to do that? Grace alone. But let's dive in. 
There's five exhortations for us to counsel ourselves with and others drawn from the Scriptures as we face these trials. So the question, how should we counsel ourselves and others as we face this pandemic and all other trials in our lives? First, I want you to notice, first, we must recognize the reality of death and suffering. We must recognize the reality of death and suffering. At times like this, we can't deny there is a big problem in the world, correct? You can't get away from it. It's on every news channel. It's in your face. It's everywhere you go. At work, they're probably talking to you over and over and over. Could we die? Could we get it? Could it happen to us? Could we spread it? Death is real. The world looks broken, doesn't it? And we can't hide this truth. (laughs) And one of our biggest issues in this world is reconciling a good God with death and suffering. Ultimately, this tension is at the heart of many of our problems in this world. We hate pain. (laughs) We live in a society that hates pain. We live in a society that's afraid of death. We live in a world that is afraid to die. We wince at the thought of suffering and seeing others suffer. No, 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 no. No suffering. We can't have suffering. Please, no suffering. This concern is real. The world hurts. And we do everything we can to cover it. We do everything we can to distract. And isn't it great the NBA season is canceled? And isn't it great that March Madness has been closed? You say, why? You say, why is it great that the NBA season has been canceled? Because death will stare them in the face every day. There will be nowhere to go. Your neighbors are going to be saying, are we going to die? Why is there death? Why are there pandemics? Why is this world groaning with so many trials and pains? Why? And they'll have nowhere to go. But hear that over and over and over on the news. Desperate people. You understand when you go out witnessing today, guys, that go, you're going to knock on the door and you're going to see people that will come to the door with their eyes wide open, afraid to open the door because you might give them the disease, the virus. Oh, glory, ladies and gentlemen. We've been given an opportunity. Death is real. Why does this happen? Why is there death? Put simple, we live in a cursed world that abides under the just judgment of God. When Adam sinned against God, God kept His promise to Adam. Remember what His promise was? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat 
from it, you will surely die. Promise kept. Immediately when Adam sinned, they died spiritually, didn't they? They they hid from God, the one that they had perfect relationship with. And physically they did die. It was a guarantee. And God placed a curse on their planet and our planet. As we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 17, Then to Adam he told, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, but both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Judgment. Judgment. The planet is cursed. Adam died spiritually, and Adam was going to die physically and go right back to the dust that he was made up of previously. The ground was cursed, wasn't it? The man was dead, and he was going to die physically. And all of his offspring were born dead in sin since that time. All of us come from Adam, and all of us are born dead. Death has been an ongoing result of disobedience to God. One command, one command, do not do this, was broken. And all died. Why is there a coronavirus? Adam's sin. Adam's sin. Romans 8.22 states, For... We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We see the groaning, don't we? We see it. We're feeling it fully right now, aren't we? The creation is groaning because of the curse that God has laid on it because He is a holy and righteous God. Beloved, Death should not surprise us. It is exactly what God said would happen. And through Adam's sin, we are all born under the judgment of God in a fallen world. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We saw that all humanity is under the wrath of God in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, right? We know this. Death shouldn't surprise any of us. The coronavirus should not be a shock. It should be a, I understand why it's here. We deserve it. Now I know, this isn't a popular message, is it? This wouldn't be one that people are going to be rejoicing to hear. But the reason why is because nobody thinks they're bad. Nobody thinks they deserve cholera or or the black plague or the coronavirus. Nobody thinks they deserve it. The facts are, we all deserve it. 
the world sees death as unfair and as all people, as innocent people. You'll watch it on the news. You'll see, oh, those poor people. Those poor, innocent people. They weren't innocent. They were born sinners. By the way, there will be Christians that die. Lots of Christians who will die. Every one of us is going to die. This is just bringing it to the forefront. You say, Mike, you are just out of control today. Oh, beloved, we must understand the reality of death and sin and that it is a deserved judgment. We are worthy of being judged. We are worthy of it being spread throughout our country. But the world says, no, you're not worthy. The world says, no, you're pretty good. America will get through this and we will survive as we always have. Oh, we will not. We will not. The people of this world will face judgment. Death is real. So am I saying, should we shudder in fear all the time? Should we just hide in fear thinking maybe God will not see us? And sound like those in Revelation chapter 6. Rocks fall on us. Hide us from the wrath to come. No. No. No, there's glorious hope for us. And His name is Jesus Christ. He's victorious over death. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. And we can live in Him if we will turn from our sin and trust in Him. Death is a marvelous, merciful warning to the world. Coronavirus is screaming, God takes sin seriously. And beloved... We have hope. So this is our time. You've been taught and trained. You're ready to go. Go announce Christ Jesus the Lord. He's our hope. He's our hope. Our neighbors that are shuddering in fear, we have hope. It's a call to trust in Him. To believe in Him and have our sins forgiven and deliver us from the just wrath to come. God uses death to wake us up to our need. Friends, this virus and all other major suffering events in your life are great big calls to seek God because you need Him. Depend upon Him. He's your hope. Fear should drive us to our knees and to the all-loving 
all-knowing God who is sovereign. In the darkest moments in history, God's grace is great light in, in the midst of the darkness. There is hope and His name is Jesus. God is almighty and He gives hope to the dead and the dying. Jesus came into the world to die. To die a ruthless death. To pay for sin. If you will turn to Him, you will live forever. A new life. A new eternal life. That is, eternal life is to know God. To enjoy Him forever. To know God, the one and the Son that He sent into the world to die for us. Mm. What an opportunity. Do you see it? This is why I had to meet. And, I, and if they tell us to close next week, I will be here. Now, there, I'm not saying you should disobey the government. But I'm going to still be here. And I'm going to yell at the camera just as much. And I just want you to know, I'm going to be playing. And I'm going to be telling you the same truths from Scripture. Because you need hope in Him. We hate death, don't we? We hate suffering, don't we? We hate viruses, don't we? But we love our refuge in the suffering. And there's great joy and peace in the midst of the chaos in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, He's so good. And this is not our home. This is not the best that God has to offer. Don't you see it? Oh, I love it. Are y'all loving it? The faith healers are being exposed. They closed their churches. Ha! Yes! Your best life now is not meeting Sunday. Praise God! Maybe they'll accidentally slip into this crazy lunatic. Preaching hope in Christ Jesus instead of that garbage, that lie that he teaches. <laughs> Suffering is beautiful. For it is there that we find the deepest, most sweetest, all-satisfying God. <laughs> Beloved, we can't be afraid to say, yes, yes, death is in the world. But it's because God is holy and He takes sin seriously. And death is in the world because God hates sin and you have a problem because you've sinned too. God gives hope. How should we counsel ourselves and others as we face this pandemic and other trials? First, we must recognize the reality of death and suffering in this world. Second, we must acknowledge the sovereignty of our God. I know. 
you're going to do it again. We talk about this doctrine in this church a lot, don't we? (laughs) I admit it. But the reason why we talk about it so much is first and foremost because it's all over the Bible. It is one of the narratives of the Bible. It is one of the themes of the Bible. You can't get away from it. That God is in control. From the beginning to the end, God is sovereign over His creation, as seen in the creation narrative. He made it. He spoke it. It exists because of Him. Whether it's the promise God made that the one who would eventually crush the Satan's head was thousands of years before. He promised it. It's going to happen. The beginning of that defeat is seen in the cross. The fulfillment of that defeat is when he returns and throws Satan into the lake of fire. He is sovereign over all things. Or the story of Joseph, his profession to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Or to Job, his life events of suffering, but were ultimately under the sovereign hand of God who allowed the enemy to go and bring about this suffering in Job's life. Or the whirlwind at the end when he showed that he was God and he was the one to serve. To God's promises that enacted exacted time, at an exact time, it would be that Israel would be taken back into the promised land after being in slavery and in captivity. An exact time. That's amazing. Only God can tell us what's going to happen 400 years later. Only God. To the countless prophecies of the Messiah both of those that are already fulfilled in the first coming and those yet to be fulfilled in the second coming. To the New Testament glimpses of God's sovereignty in the person of work of Jesus. Don't you know Jesus is sovereign over everything? He calmed the sea during a storm. He fed 5,000. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He knew people's sinful choices before they even came to pass. He knew that his betrayer was going to betray him and he was going to die. Before it happened, he is sovereign over it all. He prophesied his death, burial, and resurrection numerous times before it happened. He is in control. As Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 1 states, which God brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of His in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. And beloved, you know, All things means all things. This includes the cholera outbreak of the 18th century. And this includes the black death that ravaged the earth from the 14th to the 18th centuries. And this includes the swine flu, H1N1, and the coronavirus today. I love this quote. Look at this quote from Spurgeon. The creeping of the aphid 
over the rosebud, that's one of those little, really small bugs, is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. Wow! Spurgeon got it. Oh, dear friends. We don't always know how God is glorified in these many devastating events. We often must sit in silence in our prayer closets and cry out for mercy with trust. We don't have all the answers. But we must know one thing is very important. God is in control of all of it. It is God's sovereignty that not only brings the pain and the curse and death, But it's His sovereignty also that makes possible the rescue of wicked sinners like me and you. Oh, beloved, God saves. God redeems. God changes hearts. God adopts sinners and makes them His heirs. As R.C. Sproul said, If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. What is that promise? What are those promises? My promise of salvation in Christ. How do I know that I will see Him? How do I know that I will be His forever? Because He is in complete control of every molecule in the whole world all the time. That's great news, isn't it? It is God's sovereignty that not only brings the pain of the curse, but reminds us of the beauty of the promise of salvation in Christ. Yes, there's a tension between Psalm 44 and 46. You read Psalm 44, and it speaks of the utter pain of living under an impossible circumstance. Being under God's just judgment. But then you read Psalm 46 and it speaks of the refuge we have in the sovereign God who rules over all things. If we do everything possible to protect ourselves, beloved, listen closely. If we even hide ourselves in a perfectly sanitized room and seal ourselves off from the rest of the world with countless supplies and a a little bunker buried in the ground, sterilized and bathed in hand sanitizer... If God decided the coronavirus would be the way that we died, guess what? We'd still die there. You cannot run from the coronavirus if God wants you to die. Buy it. Really? Yes. No, this doesn't mean be ignorant. And lick religious relics like the arrogant, self-righteous religious leaders in Iran. In some ways, they're spitting in God's face as they lick those religious relics. As if to say, somehow, their false God will deliver them. Oh, but it will not. It will not. They will face a just judge one day. They need to turn to Christ, the Christ of the Bible, not the Christ of Islam. 
Beloved, we will not die one day before God has ordained for us to die. Not one second. He knows the number of days before we even live. One. That's how sovereign he is. So what do we do with anxiety? We trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. We do not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways we acknowledge Him and He will make our paths straight. Whatever you do, do not be wise in your own eyes for fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Oh, I shudder. I shudder at the people that say, oh, we're going to make this, no problem. I do, I shudder at people that say that. I just, ooh, it just brings chills down my back even now. Oh, we're going to make it, no problem. We're going to make it. It won't hurt us. You might avoid coronavirus, but death is coming. But we counsel our heart, trust in the Lord. Lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge Him. Well, we have this hope. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all uncomprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I just love how thanksgiving... And gratitude is somehow associated with trusting God and avoiding anxiety. Gratitude to the Creator who has given us so much right now. Oh, so much. Do you understand if we all died tomorrow of coronavirus, we would still have reason to thank Him and praise Him for eternity. Or this... Matthew 10, 28, 31. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. What does he mean? What does he mean? He means that God is in complete control and if you are trusting in the Father, you are His child and whether you die here or not, it doesn't matter because you're with Him forever. Oh friends, God is sovereign over all. We must trust Him. Acknowledge with me that God Almighty is sovereign. In fact, gratitude is that great display. We know that He is in control and we have many reasons to praise Him, don't we? If we were to start to list out those reasons, they should bellow out of your tongues continuously. If fear is controlling your heart, you've forgotten what He's already done for you. And you're beginning... To be ungrateful. Really? 
Beloved, we must understand God has a purpose in our pain. There is purpose in pain and fear-producing trials. Why? What is this purpose? It drives us to humbly seek the Lord. It drives us to our knees. God uses these trials to remind us of our need of Him. And God uses these moments of need to drive us to His ever-loving presence. Why? Why? Because He knows what we need most of all. More than protection. More than earthly wealth. More than a big 401k. More than anything in this world. You need Him! And that's where He wants us to be. Satisfied with Him. Satisfied with Him. He is all glorious. He is full of joy. He is where all satisfaction is found. He's better than my wife. He's better than my children. He's better than the ministry. He's better than anything in this world that this world has to offer. Jesus is that good. And this is how we can have joy in the midst of suffering while everybody else in the world is in a chaotic, worried mess. Because we have Christ. We have Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Our Lord's on the throne. (laughs) What a good God, right? How should we counsel ourselves and others as we face this pandemic? First, we must realize the reality of death and suffering. Second, we must acknowledge the sovereign control of our God. And third, we must abide in the ever-present and sustaining Lord. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't want part-time relationships with His people. He wants wholehearted rejoicing in Him always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We need Him. Times like these make us more and more aware of our need of Him. And the only way we survive and thrive in the depths of darkness is abiding in Him. How many of you pray for fruit in your life? How many of you want fruit in your life? Yeah, I see those hands. You want fruit, right? He's answering our prayers. I watch news every every once in a while, every every couple hours. I'll turn it on to see how things are going. And I've now begun to label it, I need Jesus. And the world does too. I can flip it on and say, hey, <laughs> these people need Jesus. And so do I. Contrary to the seeker movement and the health and wealth movement and the word of faith movement, fruit is not a large bank account. Good health. Fruit is glorifying God greatly in a dark world. That is fruit. Showing off His love Showing off His grace and His kindness. 
How do we produce this fruit in the midst of suffering? Exactly like Jesus said in John 15. Look at it real quick. John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, not going to exposit the whole passage, but you need to think on it. Fruit comes from abiding in Him. As Paul Washer stated on his sermon, in one of his sermons at Shepherd's Conference, branches separated from the vine are useless. And the one of the greatest fears of a branch is to be cut off from the vine. Those cut off branches have one purpose. The kindling fire. We must abide in Christ in these days. Far, far deep in Him. Deep in Him. For apart from Him, what? We can do nothing. We can do nothing. We need His life-giving power and love to honor God. We need Him to give us comfort and courage in the face of this pandemic. We need Him to give us peace in the midst of the world's panic. We don't need the news to survive. We actually don't even need medical solutions to survive. Hold on, I know you're like, what, 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 what? I'm not saying, I'm not saying, don't be wise. I'm not saying that. But again, if the coronavirus wants you because of God's sovereignty, you are not going to get away. I don't care what you do. And if it's not the coronavirus, he'll get you a different way. Beloved, we don't need news to survive and we don't need toilet paper to survive. Yes, it would make life a little easier, but we got extra leaves around here if you need some. The selfishness of our world, right? If you're one of those hoarders, you need to repent. Please, repent. Share it. Share your toilet paper. There's actually people needing it. We pray for God's mercy towards the doctors and scientists, don't we? We pray God will give them wisdom. But ultimately, I pray that the doctors and the nurses and the ones that are serving these people will have hope in Christ. 
For as they watch people die, they will know that their Redeemer lives. And they will have joy in Him. Obviously not going to get through the whole thing, right? Are you encouraged? Praise God. Briefly, I just want to go over these last two real quick. Seek wisdom from the all-wise one. This is very important. Daniel called for prayer when the king made an impossible requirement, right? Solomon prayed for wisdom when he recognized the importance of ruling his kingdom with wisdom. Jesus was wisdom incarnate. And all that he did was wisdom or was wise. And James encourages us to ask for God's wisdom. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking nothing. You think he has purpose for your pain? It's right there. But if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all or to all generously and without reproach, and, will, and it will be given to him. Where do we get wisdom, beloved? Where do we get it? We get it from God. <laughs> I was listening to the Proverbs yesterday, just listening, saying, hey, I want to hear some wisdom. And I was shocked at how contrary it was to the whole world. Everything that Solomon speaks in those in Proverbs are like opposite of what the world says. It's beautiful. Young men, read the Proverbs. Young women, read the Proverbs. Older men, read the Proverbs. Seek God for wisdom. He has given us principles for us to live in this world, this chaotic world. God has worked. Yes, government and medical authorities are a source of of wisdom. Hear me carefully. I I believe in God's common grace and how He works, that He has worked through these people to help protect us physically and help other people. It's a common grace. So don't be so arrogant that you think you've got it figured out better than some of these people. Be humble. Be humble. Honor the King. That does not mean bow to the king, if the king says don't serve Jesus. But God has put these people in our lives. He does this for our good. If he can use Balaam's donkey, he can use the American government. Do you understand? By the way, I just touched my face, so... <laughs> doesn't, doesn't the hypocrisy just blow your mind at times? Seeing everybody, don't do this, don't do this, don't touch your face. Right? Look, look, we're, they're, they're humans. But God works through humans. He works through donkeys and humans. I love it. We got a, our neighbors next door. They've given us a, a, a rooster. In the form of a donkey. Every day at 7 o'clock, it bays as loud as it can. Wakes me up almost every day. Andrew, can't wait, bro. You've got a new alarm clock. 
You ain't sleeping. That thing's going to wake you up, I promise. The providence of the Lord gets me up in the morning to know him more. Beloved, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing God is where wisdom is found. Finally, what do we do? What do we do? I know it was a long message. I, I told him to cut a, uh, cut a song so that we could pray at the end. No, it was really so I could preach a long message. How should we counsel ourselves and others as we face this pandemic? Fifth, proclaim the glorious hope in Christ. This is it. I've already alluded to it throughout the whole thing, haven't I? This is the purpose. Why are we still here, beloved? Why is the church here? We are here to exalt Christ in a lost world. We are here to proclaim Him, to admonish every man. Trials are some of the finest opportunities to proclaim Him. We have good news for a lost and dying world. We know the sovereign God despite the apparent chaos. We have a refuge in times of trials. We have a deep well of wisdom in our God and His Word. So we seek Him, we acknowledge Him, we abide in Him, we pursue Him, and then we, pro- we proclaim Him. That's what we do. We avoid selfishness and hoarding. and In fact, we care for our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters. If anybody, God forbid, if anybody gets sick in our church, I want us all to be there to help them. If some of our older people are in bad shape, we want to go to them. We want to give them an opportunity to stay in their homes. We're going to bring them their groceries. we got a lot of extra time on our hands. Let's share the gospel. We have become the new delivery people for our people in hurt, in need. That's what we do. In, in 1527, when the Black Death struck Germany, Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina, worked tirelessly to serve the church and their neighbor, their neighbors during this deadly outbreak. Shining a great light in a dark world, The Black Death had claimed 50 million people in the 14th century. 60% of the population of Europe. Over 100 million people died from 1347 to 1351. I'm reading from a quote from a guy that wrote on this, on the uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Josh. So when it showed up again in the 1600s, you can imagine the panic and chaos in Germany. The hymn we just sang, the hymn we just sang came from Luther. He wrote it during that time. Listen to Josh's words. Quote, When the Black Death raised its nasty head in in 1527 in Germany, many people began to panic. People were fleeing for their lives, yet Martin Luther and his wife decided to stay home. It wasn't a stubborn response to to the need to evacuate, but a loving response, fueled by love and sustained by faith in their sovereign God. 
Rather than running for the hills, they turned their home into a makeshift hospital. They took in the sick. They cared for them. They demonstrated genuine Christian hospitality. And risked their own lives in the process. During the crisis, their son almost died. As Luther and Katie ministered to people, they watched some recover. And they watched many cross over the precipice of life in eternity. Undoubtedly, many of these people Luther had ministered to in the city during his lectures and sermons. The pain would be severe. The stench of the black death was all, was all throughout Wittenberg and the Germany landscape. Luther was not only standing up to the powerful Roman Catholic Church as he exposed their false doctrine, but he likewise stood strong in the midst of a horrible disease. End quote. And he wrote these words. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Perfect. We need God, don't we? He's a mighty fortress for us. I want to take some time now and pray. I have a few men that I called on. Might not get to all of them, but... Let's take some time to pray, and and these guys are going to pray, and as they pray, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leadership. We need to pray for the government. We need to pray for our doctors and nurses. We need to pray for our shut-ins. Let's pray for these people. Shane, will you start? And then I'll tap the other guys on their shoulders. Pray with us, please.